right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. I'm CJ Harvey here. Cooper Simmerman, not with me yet, but he will be during the episode here in just a few minutes, and we've got a good one for you. Brandon Dennison is the executive director of the Coalfield Development Corporation, an organization that's really trying to resurrect parts of the southern coalfields in West Virginia. Brandon himself, not necessarily a guy that uh, grew up in the southern coalfields, but after spending a lot of his professional time down there, he is just really taken an affinity for that part of the state and Appalachia and has really made it his mission to try and take care of that part of the state as much as possible. Really, really genuine story. We get into a bunch of topics and his organization, 13 years old, and man, they have been able to achieve a lot in a decade. So hopefully you stick around. Great episode with Brandon Dennison. Don't forget the Almost Heaven Classic is almost here. We're getting closer and closer. June 9th and 10th at the Canaan Valley Resort as uh, it's going to be a banger of a time, really. And so hopefully you can make it out there. We do have plenty of tickets for the Friday networking event that is just going to be an, an extraordinary time. Let's just be real. It's going to be an awesome time. Brad Smith, Sarah Biller are both going to be delivering keynote, uh, not necessarily speeches. We're having a discussion panel. It's a keynote discussion, if you will. They are going to be uh, two of the people up on stage with Cooper and I to talk about the future of West Virginia and investing in West Virginia's future. It's going to be a great, great, really, it's going to be a great discussion. So hopefully you can make it up there because the Friday night event, it's going to be great. Drinks, food, we're going to be having a good time. Networking, come up, small business owners, nonprofit leaders, Uh, artists, CEOs, executives, people that are really the movers and shakers and creating and inspiring people in West Virginia are going to be in attendance there. You won't want to miss it. So go on mountaineermedia.org right now, get your tickets for Friday. And if you do have an affinity for playing golf, make sure to uh, sign up for your golf team. We still have a couple of spots open on Saturday as well for the Almost Heaven Classic uh, golf outing. It's going to be awesome. So don't forget Almost Heaven Classic coming up June 9th and 10th. You don't have to go to both. You can go to one or the other or both. And then we do have a discount code for you to stay at the resort there. So make sure jump on over to mountaineermedia.org right now. Check all that stuff out. It's going to be a great, great time. Okay, let's get to it. This week's episode with Brandon Dennison. Let's hit it. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Brandon, good morning. How are you, my friend? Good morning. Doing well. Happy New Year. Yes, we are absolutely 2023. CJ, good morning to you too, man. Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, first of all, Brandon, yeah, we were chatting about this the coal field development. You're the founder and CEO. Um, but I first want to say world-class website, man, because I'm, I've been on it all morning. I've been reading about it. I've been finding everything and it's extremely user-friendly. And then for folks listening, if you want to jump to it while you're listening to the podcast, coalfield-development.org. But it's an amazing, and I, I'm guilty of not truly fully understanding your all scope of what truly the coalfield development is. And I hope that we can do it justice today with this conversation, but maybe a good place to start is simply how'd you end up 
how'd you end up here, man? How, why did you end up fat, like founding this? What were some of those early thoughts in your career? I'm sure maybe this was not the exact direction you thought your life would go and you were mapping out a career, but I'd love to hear how exactly this got started. Absolutely. And I'll give a quick shout out to JJN Multimedia. Uh, we work with them on the website. They're a local West Virginia company and uh, and do great work. I am born and raised in West Virginia. I think like so many of us, I have a, a deep sense of connection to this place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so much of who I am is I owe to West Virginia, to the people of West Virginia, to the love, loving environment that I had growing up here and the sense of rootedness and connection I have going back many generations. Um, uh, and I always think about that. We go to our family farm in Braxton County and literally see headstones, you know, back into the wow. early 1800s. Um, but I've also, I think like many of us have a sense growing up here that we've never really achieved our full potential, you know, that we have so much more to offer to this country and to this world than what we've been able to offer. And it, it really cemented for me in college, I went to Shepherd University in the Eastern Panhandle, and I was a youth director in a Presbyterian church. And we would do mission trips all around in different settings and sort of understand and learn about poverty in lots of different settings. But the more I would travel around to learn from people in poverty around the world, I would have this nagging sense that, you know, why would I go all over the world when I know there's a lot of pain and suffering in, in my own backyard? And that's a form of pain and suffering that I can understand the most and maybe do something about. And the very last mission trip that I led before I left for graduate school out in Indiana was in Williamson down in Mingo County. And we were doing, you know, the traditional stuff, home repair, volunteer stuff. And as we were working, these two young men approached us and they literally had tool belts slung over their shoulders. And they asked if we had work available you know, mean and paid work. Mm-hmm. And at first I just said, no, you know, we're, we're just unpaid volunteers. And they went on their way and it was this short, brief interaction, but it really started to gnaw at me and bother me that in West Virginia, we literally have young people who want to work, who want to be a part of something, just wandering the streets, hoping to make a couple bucks, <laughs> you know, under the table. And that's just not okay with me. And I, I know we can do better. And that was really the seed that sort of planted the vision for what would become Colfield Development. How many times have you been back to Williamson since that story? Hundreds. But yeah, I was going to say Hundreds. probably a lot, right? Yeah. So it started real small. Um, you know, the idea was we would, it actually started in housing and abandoned housing. So the idea is we would build new energy efficient housing for low income people, but we would hire local people, yeah. build it and learn those new skills on the job. And as we got into housing, we learned actually a big housing problem in a lot of West Virginia communities is abandoned housing. You know, we've had out migration and there's a lot of empty buildings. It attracts drugs. It attracts trouble. It's an eyesore. It's bad for property values. It's also just sort of demoralizing, you know, drive around these empty buildings. So the idea is hire local people, but take them apart piece by piece, reuse, resell, recycle the content instead of just waste it all uh, in a landfill. And so, interestingly, our very first crew uh, started in Wayne County. My my best friend, Chase, from high school joined me. He got our contractor's license. So I sort of had the business skills. He had more of the technical skills. We hired our first crew of three. Um, one had uh, just come out of the foster care system, was working fast food, and had his first child on the way. The second was, was justice involved, had just come out of the jail system, and had his second child on the way. And the third had just been laid off uh, from the coal sector. And that was our first crew. And um, 
the irony is that two of them made it to completion. So I'll go in later and talk about this model we have for on-the-job training, higher education, personal development. And it culminates with a community college degree. Uh, most of our participants are the first in their family you know, to attend college. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was just sort of as those are two, uh, we call them Coalfield champions, walked across the stage, my mind just kept flashing back to those two guys in Williamson. And it just felt like this uh, uh, full circle moment. Um, but we've done many projects. We've done agriculture work in Williamson. We've done construction, deconstruction work in Williamson. And, and actually, almost every time I'm in Williamson, I drive past the house. Um, you know, you know, it's interesting you asked that. I was in Williamson right before the holidays, and I got down there a little early. And I drove past the house. And I hate to say, I, you might ed- edit this out because it's a little bit negative, but bear with me. I drove past the house, you know, and I'll be damned if I didn't see five young men who were sort of wandering the streets. They had like a fire going in a barrel. Yeah. You know, it was probably 11.30 a.m. And they had like 40, I don't know, what do they call like the big tall beers. Yeah, yeah. Um, before lunchtime, and it just broke my heart. Sometimes. A 40, that's right. <laughs> a 40, yeah. I feel like we really are. We've made so much headway, and I'm so proud. Um, some days it feels like a drop in the bucket. You know, like we're up, we're just up against a lot. But the bottom line is, like, there are still people here, and 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 they have potential, and we can't just give up on that. Yeah, well, I think that at the end of the day, this is something a thought that had crossed my mind the other day, and and we've kind of talked about this on the podcast before. But you know, the change that we are trying to do now is the change that we really won't see come to fruition for another decade or two, it feels like. You know, I mean, we are infants in West Virginia's comeback story. And so maybe it feels like a drop in the bucket now, but it's the the kids of the people that you are helping now that will ultimately feel, you know, the, the, uh, the true benefits of what your organization, not that people aren't, it's not life-changing now, but sure. everything takes time to really hit home. And so I don't want you to ever think that you're not doing a good job or maybe you, just because you see a couple of kids that aren't necessarily looking for work, that doesn't mean that you're not changing people's lives because that's not true. That's just not true. Um, well, there was we, a lot to change. There, there is still a lot that needs to be fixed and changed. Well, on on, on that same note, I think we, and we again, we've spoken about this a few times, is that we remain a size. I think that one company or industry is going to swoop in and like fix it like right now. Like, oh, if we could only get coca-cola to build a plane if tesla would put a giant plant that would employ all amazon all warehouse would be fixed. like yeah and that's just yeah, like a lot of things it's romanticized and it's probably not reality and we shouldn't hold our, our breath for that so it, it seems like though i mean you would agree because your work focuses more on like systems the infrastructure the community groundwork that like you said may just take time you have been you guys have been around for 12 years i believe like these things, if they don't exist inside of a community like Southern West Virginia, that is rural, that is separated, that does have poor access to internet sometimes, that it does have food deserts, that does, you know, it needs that underground, unseen web for those things to even flourish on the top end. Like the businesses that pop up on are almost like the tip of the iceberg, but they couldn't be there if those kind of systems and, and processes well, and connections didn't exist, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense, Brandon. That's a great, that's a Excellent point. It actually gets to our, we call it our theory of change, you know, our theory for how things actually change. And you just laid it out beautifully. The idea is we're going to do basically economic R&D. <laughs> you know, we're going to run some experiments, launch some companies in new 
sustainable sectors, and we're going to see what's actually viable and what has potential. And we're going to fail a lot, almost on purpose, as we're learning what might work and what what might not work. And we're going to create some tangible examples of what's possible mm-hmm. through successful new businesses and also successful people who are turning their lives around for themselves and for their family. And and that's the idea is that that starts to, those examples and, and that experiment and all that learning starts to build momentum for, for whole new sectors to shape and whole new and whole systems to change. Yeah. When you, you know, the, you talk about that trip to Williamson, that was kind of like the eye-opening moment. Now you've been back hundreds of times. Did you really know the coal fields did, growing up? I know that you were kind of a Cabell County guy and Ona. Your office is in Huntington, but how much of the coal field? Because that's kind of right on the cusp. Huntington's yeah, yeah, exactly no, the really coal funny. Field, but you know, I've done a lot of national um, media, and our you know our work is is just because it's interesting and different. And you can always tell like the good storytellers are so disappointed <laughs> when I'm like my parents yeah. are not coal miners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did like there's a little bit of coal, but not much. Um, we did a lot of timber. A lot of my family you know yep. was involved in the timber industry. Over the years, I'm as West Virginia as West Virginia can be. And it ser- sort of serves a point that, you know, this is a complex place. I mean, I, so- I think we get, our problems get very simplified right. very quickly. And The farther and you I'll, leave the state. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And and I think a lot, you know, I, another thing I struggle with, it's sort of a complicated name, how the organization came to be called Coalfield Development. And I honestly sort of struggle with it because in some ways, I think part of the problem is we've been told in Southern West Virginia, you know, you are this one thing. And if you don't have that one thing, you're not going to have a community. Yeah. And you know, being overly dependent on one thing is really the source of so much of our social and economic and, and environmental problems. So in some ways, you know, I want to honor how hard people have worked here. That's the thing I like about the name mm-hmm. is there should be a lot of pride that the amount of resources pumped out of this region literally has built this country to a large extent, and that should be honored. But also it's time to look to the future and say, you know, we're resourceful, creative people. We can be lots of things to <laughs> in lots of different varieties. We're not just one thing. Um, so anyways, long story short, I, um, I, I, my family history is, is not that heavily connected um, to the coal industry. A lot of our team now, you know, we've grown a whole, team at, at Coalfield Development. These are folks straight out of the coal industry, um, h- folks heavily impacted by the coal industry. But uh, but my story is a, a little bit more boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it, it kind of applies to all, like, all West Virginians. I know we've, I've said like- It's not boring, by the way. That's not- uh, All right. <laughs> it's, it's really not. No, it's not boring. But I mean, I, but what I think we can all wear, like we can all be prideful that yes, our the West Virginia heritage is resourceful, hardworking, work coal miners. Even if it wasn't like your uncle Billy, your uncle Bob was a coal miner, like we don't have to have that. Some people do have that direct of a connection. Like I've got extended families that are still coal miners, have been a coal mine. Great grandfather died in the coal mines. Like I can feel that on my shoulders and be proud of that. But at the same time, be like that's not all that we have to be. We are resourceful, creative, and that can be applied elsewhere. And that's something that you spoke about in the PBS News Hour special was that. When you spoke about Appalachians in general, this applies to not just West Virginia, of course, we're a West Virginia podcast, but this is Appalachia in general, is yeah. that we are inherently good because we've had to be living in the mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, at fixing things, at building things, at growing things. And these are skill sets that nationally is increasingly in demand, I think, because the giant 
if we call it big college over the 80s and 90s was like college was the only answer and then america underinvested in the trades and the skills and stuff like that and then now we're realizing that wow shit like if we're going to rebuild renovate you know infrastructure bring back manufacturing we need people that know how to do things with their hands and i think west virginians it's not like we have to look very far to find someone who is good with their hands in west virginia like we have those skills right it's not like this big mountain to overcome we just have to then harness that and and do it in a way that they benefit from it that's not an extractionary we don't want to have another situation where we just we just get a help on the project and then it dissipates back into the future and only a select few people gain from it what projects maybe have you seen exemplify that the most with with people with hands-on work and that mantra of Appalachian culture? Well, you know, something I'm excited about, whether you believe in climate change or not, a concern about climate change is completely revolutionizing the global economy. And there's a lot of jobs being created to decarbonize supply chains, make buildings more energy efficient, increase diversify where our sources of energy come from with an emphasis on clean and renewable energy. And these are all very hands-on tasks that need to happen. You know, maybe the robots will overtake us in 2030, 40, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a technology expert, but for right now, it's going to take hands and people to achieve this great decarbonization worldwide. And West Virginians, I think are actually well-primed um, uh, to have those skills, you know, some of the assets we have is our workforce, which is not a workforce scared to get our, our hands dirty. We have power lines, you know, that sounds simple, but it's actually complicated to build out a grid that's powerful enough to export energy. Not a lot of states actually export energy. So if we can just convert that energy to be cleaner, we can create a lot of jobs. We have a lot of land. Um, I, I see no reason former mountaintop removal sites should it all be solar farms in the not too distant future? And it's going to take local people to do that. We also have forests that through uh, something called forest uh, carbon credit trading, you know, people can just get paid for good forest uh, land management because it captures carbon. So this is what uh, something we formed called the Act Now Coalition, Appalachian Climate Technologies Coalition. Uh, we competed in a national competition against over 500 applicants. We were one of 21 winners, and we got the third largest award in the country to bring its 62.8 million federal and another 30 million in private matching dollars uh, to prove this concept through tangible projects throughout Southern West Virginia. Um, Hands-on examples: We have a, a, a sustainable mine land reclamation enterprise that does do this. We we reclaim former mine sites, but we do it through regenerative uh, agriculture and renewable energy. Uh, we helped start Solar Holler, which is now the state's largest uh, solar company. We were made yep. a part owner in that. We have a construction company, which does very innovative uh, revitalization projects throughout small towns all over southern West Virginia. So it's whatever we do, it's important to us that it's tangible. You know, people are so tired of, you know, pop political speeches and planning processes and, and meeting after meeting when nothing seems to change. And so we really try to be tangible and, and real so folks can know that, that, that we're not just a, another fancy meeting, but we're actually here to, um, to make things better. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. 
first off, congratulations and yeah, that's awesome. thank you. I think uh, you deserve a thank you for going out there and, and securing some of those funds to come to West Virginia. Secure the bag. Yeah, yeah exactly. You get the money. Um, but, but there's there's a couple of things I want to get to, but the first one I think is is kind of a buzzword or a buzz phrase, I guess, more or less, that's going around right now. And I think it kind of piggybacks off what you were talking about, but this carbon sequestration where they can, you know, re-put carbon back in underground, it's captured in this pool and then it's naturally released. I mean, is that something that you're talking about here that's a natural way to try and combat climate change, but then also, um, you know, just kind of rebuild some of the uh, the forests that already exist? So, so what I'm talking about is a little different, but then I think the sequestration is interesting too. For, for me, it's like a natural carbon capture. Yeah. So, so like the Nature Conservancy has done research all over the world and found that our hardwoods here in Appalachia are capture a ton of carbon already, and we do it naturally. It's like almost comparable to the Amazon. And so, for the for the world to deal with climate change, we have to protect and well manage these huge forests that naturally capture a, a ton of carbon. That's actually a it's like a public good for the whole world, not even just. The country. So yeah. there's actually money to be made through the ESG movement, which really should not be. It blows my mind how that's become controversial. <laughs> ESG stands for environment, uh, society, and governance. So it's a move within corporations to be basically more responsible to humanity and to the planet. And so there are markets that have evolved where if a corporation makes an ESG commitment, they have to follow up on that. They get audited uh, to see so shareholders can see if they have followed up on those commitments. And so one of the way they do it is they pay for uh, environmentally responsible land management projects, you know, such as like a reforestation of mine lands yeah. to help expand the natural yeah. carbon capture that's happening in Appalachia or out West. And then there's also a carbon sequestration, which is a more technological advancement, which does exactly what you laid out. And I think that does have potential too. You know, I'm, I care about the environment, but I'm also pretty like realistic, you know, like we, it's really not possible just on a dime, turn off our old energy system and all of a sudden have this yes. brand new, totally clean there. It's going to be a transition mm -hmm. and there's going to be fossil fuels around still for quite a while. And so we should figure out how to, how to burn that as cleanly as humanly possible and that's going to take research innovation and technology and why not figure that out right here in west virginia as a prime energy state hey wait going back to this tree thing um you had said that some of the trees in west virginia can capture carbon almost it's synonymous to the amount that the amazon can wait explain that a little bit and is that because of like i mean hundreds of thousands of years ago that West Virginia maybe like had a different type of geography or something. And it, does that, is that what it's, you're kind of saying? It's really, yeah. I mean, so we have a very uniquely diverse ecosystem in West Virginia. So like a lot of species or the most Southern point for a lot of cold weather species that are more common in Canada, we're the most Northern point for a lot of warm weather species. You'll see play down in Georgia mm -hmm. and they intersect and intermingle right here. Gotcha. Appalachia. Um, so it's a very diverse uh, eco ecosystem. Also, just we still have forests. I mean, yeah. a lot of states, especially on the East Coast, have been so developed, you can't find more than a few acres of patches of forest land. We're the third most forested state 
by percentage in the country. And so just the fact that we're not as developed uh, means we're naturally capturing uh, a lot of carbon because we have contiguous forest land. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, uh, okay, this is totally driving this off the rails and I don't mean to do this, but I'm going to. So the the idea of, you know, a lot of coal is in West Virginia, right? Obviously we all know that we've been talking about that, but isn't the idea that some of the coal came from, um, you know, to get coal, you have to compress heat and rock and, and, but doesn't that mean at some point we were like an Amazon kind of geography? Yes. Similar like that. More swamp-like. Yeah. Yeah, Very swamp so a, a good writer could make a great poem out of this. But yeah. The different yeah. connections, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and it just serves the point. Like, we are not, a lot of times, people in economic development, West Virginia, well, first, you're exactly right. I mean, coal basically is like an ancient swamp. Um, B, we just have a phenomenal envir- natural environment here that's an asset. A lot of times, people in economic development talk about our landscape like a problem. You know, they complain that we don't have a lot of, flat sites for huge yeah. million acre factories and it's like who wants to be another suburb yeah. with these multi-football field size warehouses that yeah with crappy jobs that don't pay very well and offer very few benefits mm-hmm. um you know let's be us let's be distinctly west virginia let's leverage our natural environment as a great asset for a good quality of life uh and in a a scrubber for the entire planet do you think this, I'm not going to call it a new wave because it, it certainly existed in some form for, for decades, but like you just yourself described social entrepreneur on your LinkedIn account, I got your LinkedIn pulled up here on my iPad, right? Is that, and to me, I, I'm 100%, I feel like Mountaineer Media, like we're a business, we feel like we're like a social enterprise. Yes, we are a media company, but like we're trying to tell stories and invest back in the community. Yeah. Is that... In, in light of what you just said that like, yes, we don't maybe want a million acre big old plant here. Like, is it going to be the social entrepreneurs that solve, like try to solve complex problems that, that yes, make money because they have to be sustainable. They have to employ people. They have to, that's just the economy that we live in, but also have this like mission driven, like inside of them. Um, like we just had Tammy Jordan, Fruits of Labor. She's building this wonderful cafe in Southern West Virginia, but it directly employs people in, in addiction recovery. So it's like the marrying of the business and kind of philanthropy and nonprofit work. Is that, in your opinion, maybe not the silver bullet, but a viable solution to a lot of these problems just to incentivize folks that kind of have that entrepreneurial mindset, but also have a, a, a an inkling to build and give back to their community? Yeah, I really think so. I think it's the future of business. Um, Tammy Jordan is a wonderful example of what an amazing- uh, He's awesome. Yeah, just amazing person, amazing body of work. I, you guys absolutely are, are social entrepreneurs. I, all over Appalachia, I mean, it's almost like a movement of Appalachian people, I think, saying we know this place deserves better and we're tired of sitting around waiting <laughs> on somebody to make it better for us and we're just going to do it. And like every day, it just builds my hope to meet folks like you, like Tammy, all over the state and really this region who are just making incredible things happen. And a lot of times it is social entrepreneurs. And the idea of social entrepreneurship is you you take the compassion and the mission of the nonprofit world and you really blend it with a business, mm-hmm. you know, common sense business approach that has a revenue stream. So you don't just have to beg for donations and grants all the time. Um, and And so, you know, like a purely government approach to our problems 
we're going to have to have government programs, right? Like it's easy to sit around and bash government programs. But the bottom line is like, you know, more people have drinking water and food and health because of government programs. I don't think that's bad, but the government programs are not going to be like super innovative, cutting edge type value creators. I mean, government programs are not very efficient. They're just not still have to have them, but to accept them, you have to, you have to trade some efficient and innovation to do something so top-down large scale but likewise like purely for-profit you know depending on corporations they're just giving huge handouts to corporations to solve our problems you know that doesn't account for the charitable needs that we have uh in our west virginia we do have folks who are up against a lot they have transportation barriers child care barriers many are in substance use disorder many have come out of foster care many are being raised by their grandparents or their grandparents raising their grandkids. And so to just expect folks with so many barriers in a purely for-profit sense to go launch all these for-profit companies, probably not fair. And so what I love about social enterprise is how it blends from, from takes from this, takes from there, and blends it together to be effective. Yeah. A, a couple of points. Yeah. I don't think it's, nobody is looking at the government to come in and save the world either. You know, they're, they're there to fix patch or patch holes and, and fix things, not in a literal sense, just right. fix holes, but right. just fix things where they can. So that, that I don't think anybody ever looks at the government and thinks that you guys are the, the most forward thinking group, you know, that's, but that's not why the government is designed to work like it does. It's, it's meant to fix things going on right now, but it is these social entrepreneurs who are the ones that have the ability to look ahead yep. and and try and solve the complex problems of the future. So, you know, it's not to say that the big factories aren't going to be the solution, you know, and, and some people are going to enjoy that sure. and, and work in those in those places. And uh, but at the end of the day, I think what a theme of this episode is that we're going through this culture shift. You don't have to work in that. You don't have to work in a big factory to to live a sustainable life. You don't have to work in state government to live a sustainable life or you know, you don't also have to be walking down the street looking for work on a day-to-day basis either. There is a world that we are trying to build where everybody is harmonious inside this Appalachian region. Um, and kind of going back to the uh, PBS NewsHour brief that you had done a couple of months ago or about a year ago, I forget when that was, um, but I, I, you had this line in there about, and everybody go watch that on YouTube, but you had this line in there about uh, you think that the people of Appalachia have the skills right now that are going to help build the future of tomorrow. And I think sometimes it's it's like uh, one of the, the, the double-edged sword of if you tell a lie enough, you're going to eventually believe it. But on the other side, if you tell, if you say something long enough and it is true, you know, maybe that that goes from it, it convinces people, I guess. If you say it long enough, you're eventually going to convince people that it's true. And it is true. And so I do think that that point that you were making is that our people, this group, this region can help build the future and help build what the future is going to look like. And we yep. maybe just need a little bit of a, a push like, hey, th- this is the direction, you know, it's. And, and we need investment. You know, I mean, the rest of the country can't keep looking at Appalachia like one big problem. And I think a lot of Right now, I mean, it's politically divided times, but a lot of folks in in cities, you know, have never even been here and sort of just view us as a huge drain on the country. Yeah. You know, we're just red, red, dumb red states that can't get it together. Yeah. And, you know, that's just, 
not a helpful, <laughs> obviously not a very helpful framing. And if we could flip that and look at Appalachia and say, wow, what a resource. Yeah. You know, maybe those people did vote differently from me, but they're not there, but, but there's a lot of really good people and really kind people and really talented and hardworking people. And that could be an asset to build this new climate resilient economy that a lot of folks in cities have a vision for. Two things. One, I got a book recommendation for you, Brandon, is The Responsible Company um, by Vincent Stanley. He's one of the okay. fo founders of Patagonia. Um, I think you I think you enjoy it. It's kind of along, along the lines of these kind of this um, conscious capitalism, which I think is another book by the founder of Whole Foods, uh, but very, very similar stuff. I think you enjoy it. Secondly, I think you're right is that, yes, people look at, we're not a flyover state. You think of the flyover states out in the West, but like we're we definitely, we know we get stigmatized and I don't know if that's truly word stigmatized, but we, we get painted as, you know, like we can't get our shit figured out. But as we've tried to highlight on the podcast is that there are wildly creative, diverse, talented, problem solving West Virginians here mm -hmm. that, that are already doing the work that like, we have to be careful of not always saying like, if only we had somebody like doing this or we could do that or we need someone to come in here and do this like if you were doing it. like take a breath and look around you look to your right there's Tammy Jordan you look to your yep. left there's exactly. another entrepreneur doing it but what I think and I've always said that what we have to be careful of is in the effort to grow prosperity and economically in the state is let let us not just accept every yes let's, let's accept money like you know of course like federal grants money like that but think that someone from somewhere else is going to come like do it and build it. Whereas like if we invest in the systems and the processes like you guys have internally, then our own people like direct West Virginians can benefit from the tourism boom. Like I don't want like all of what the tourism boom to be like dollars that leave West Virginia. Like, and unfortunately, you know, some of the Airbnbs are second homes are owned by people not in the state and that sort of thing. So I think it's, it's always, to me, it's important to remind us that your neighbor, your friend, your fellow West Virginians, like they are the ones that if empowered and have the tools and the training and the confidence, they can, we can solve our own problems. Like, and that's not the stubborn, like resilient way of not asking for help, which I think is true. I think West Virginians, we do fall guilty of, we can do it. We can figure it out. Sometimes you just need help. Sometimes you just need help. But the people here are wildly talented enough and skillful enough to combat these problems that we face in this state. And, and that will more naturally and organically attract people to come here, people to invest here. You know, if we start with ourselves, start with what we have, build from the bottom up, it'll have deeper roots, it'll be more lasting. And I also think in the long run, it'll it'll actually better achieve the goal of bringing new business and, and new families here because uh, it's, it's something genuine that's built to last. Yeah, hopefully to, you know, the people that we are attracting this region is attracting are the, the businesses and the people that are going to come here, but then settle because they find that the values of their surroundings resonate with them, not just to, you know, right now, West Virginia is in a unique opportunity where if you are confident and maybe you have a little bit of money, you can come in and really build something here something very special. I mean, that's what John Chambers and Brad Smith are talking about. It's the build up the startup state right now, but hopefully naturally we weed out the ones that are only doing it for themselves, not necessarily for the greater good. You know, yeah. let's not yeah. lose sight. Hopefully the people that are coming in aren't doing it just to make a quick buck, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's a balance. It's a balance. 
um, for sure. And in the grants, I mean, we look, we get grants all the time. But it, it is a double-edged sword. I, I try and coach my team to view them as investments. You know, this is a chance to get something started. Super true. To do that economic R&D. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we need to build. When we say sustainable, you know, that is environmental, but it's also financial um, as well. You know, through a good business, you can build a sustainable model to employ local people and create local value in perpetuity. Yeah. Actually, this is a good idea. This is a good time to pitch things. I don't always pitch things, but, and maybe you even know about this, but um, the state, funny enough, of West Virginia just launched a new grant website, grants.wv.gov. And it's, they're trying to build the most comprehensive list of grants specifically for West Virginia nonprofits, businesses, et cetera. And so anybody that is looking for a grant, grant money, uh, it doesn't include federal grants, just state grants, state money, um, but grants.wv.gov. Hey, look, if people are giving money away, take it. Somebody's going to take it. Go get it. Yeah, go get the bag. So, um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think even grants, people are recognizing how important grants are, even more than maybe they did previously. At least I am. <laughs> I don't part know. Of mix. It's yeah. part of the mix. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, I mean, look, in West Virginia, I mean, in Silicon Valley or Boston, you're looking for startup money. I mean, there's like clubs that yeah. meet for coffee and do a million dollar investment right. in a 10 minute meeting. Yeah. We don't have that kind of cash flying around no. West Virginia. So there's no shame in, in getting it where you can. What, Brendan, uh, what will we consider successful if West Virginia does continue to rebrand, evolve, and like kind of reemerge in the, in the national scene? Like what will we... How will we know, I guess, when we're being successful? Like, what what do you think is a, a good measurement of this this effort to build rebuild West Virginia? For me, it's about labor participation rate and poverty rates. You know, for my whole life, we our poverty rate has been well above the national average, and our labor force participation rate's been well below the national average. If we can't make real headway on both those two fronts, then we're still spinning our wheels. Yeah. And explain that because I'm uh, on your website. The little bit of a nuance is that there is a misconception. I think sometimes you heard like politicians, uh, you know, before we started slipping into a recession like six months ago. But like that they were, there was the line was that there's plenty of jobs. There's actually two jobs for every one person, and that people just aren't quote unquote willing to work. And then sometimes people say West Virginians just aren't willing to work. But maybe if you can help us explain it, because it's on it's on your 2022 strategic plan that I've been reading this morning is that the difference between the unemployment rate versus people looking for work versus labor participation. And I saw that the 21 county alliance that you all have, there's 20,000 people roughly in each state or in each county and half of them are quote unquote, I think gainfully employed or looking for work. So we need to get that number up. Bottom line is we need to get that number up by 2,000 per Appalachian County. And that would be about 50,000. If we could get 2,000 more people back in the workforce in each of the Southern 21 counties, that could get us more towards national average of labor force participation. Unemployment rate is the number of people who are not employed but are trying to be. You know, they're actively putting in job applications and actively trying to get a job. Um, it labor force participation, and so they would be there. You're still a part of the labor force because you're trying to get back into the job. People who drop down to the labor force means like they're not even, you know, they're they're not even trying to be employed. They've totally given up on that. Now, sometimes there's good reason that it's if you're an elderly person, 
you know, sometimes that uh, new parents, you know, they their their focus is just elsewhere. Someone with a severe disability, you know, but but you know, at at times we dip below fifty percent of our population has been active in the workforce. I mean, that's a really dangerous. Uh, it's it's going to be really hard to grow a healthy, sustainable economy that way. Now, I do think this comment: people don't want to work. It's it's a way oversimplified comment. I, I there are very few people that I've ever met in West Virginia that that don't want to work. The problem is we don't provide the I call it the human element. We don't provide the supports to them as a human being that they need to get back into the workforce, given all the trauma and barriers and issues that they've had to face. So we've got to you know provide more elaborate uh, recovery system. You know, we, a lot of folks have a record and, and that's a big barrier to getting back in the workforce. We're going to have to get more creative and nimble as employers in that regard. Transportation in a rural state is a huge challenge. We're going to have to get more creative about childcare is a massive barrier, especially to women entering the workforce. We're still not doing enough on that front. So my theory really is that if we could better address the human element, that that is what would get workforce participation rate up. And the challenge is like just creating more jobs is not helping the labor force participation issue all that it might within migration, you know, another way to build your labor force, is just have more people yep. migrate and move here. Mm -hmm. um, but for the people who are here already of working age, you know, just building a new factory that may or may not be near them yeah. you know, isn't necessarily building the human infrastructure that our state needs to stay competitive in 2023. Are yeah. we doing enough to combat? I think that mentality that you're hitting at is, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, there's a reason 50% of the people in West Virginia don't want to work. I mean, it's, I think, I don't know if you can just pin it on this mental health or depression or the opioid epidemic, a variety of reasons, but are we doing enough to combat that challenge? I think the challenge- Not nearly. Yeah. I mean, it, nearly, it, in a lot of the meetings about, you know, how, how are we going to improve work labor force participation, it, it's treated like a technical problem. You know, it's yeah. like, well, we need these training programs or this degree program or this set of skills. And we do need those things, but you're getting at CJ, the, again, it's that human element. There's mental, emotional trauma that people have, have been through. And if you can't provide a support to, to help a person grow through that, uh, then, then you're you're not getting to the root of the problem. Yeah, yeah. It's that that is a, a tough challenge to combat. It's a tough. What you're doing, what you're doing, to Brandon. That's exactly. the important thing. Like, like, yeah. and like we said earlier, like the that unseen underground. If you can picture like New York City, like all the pipes and the highways and the subways underneath the city, that's what makes it possible for it to have skyscrapers. We can't just think skyscrapers are going to exist and just have nothing underneath it. You need the underneath part to have the on the above ground stuff flourish. And I think from what I've seen, you guys are on the forefront of that. You're doing. You're doing the nitty gritty work and it should be wildly commended, man. I mean, it's, it's simply amazing. And look, I mean, it's been an honor to have you on for the last 50 minutes and hear from you directly about it. Yeah. I really appreciate what you guys are doing, the stories that you're getting out. And at the end of the day, you know, some days are more discouraging than others, but there is this underground sort of movement of social entrepreneurs throughout Appalachia and, um, I think it probably is generational work. You know, it took us generations to get in this predicament. It'll probably take 
generations to get out, but it feels good to be a part of problem solvers and not just complainers and whiners. So I appreciate what you guys are doing.